In Romans 12, 1 through 2, we are reminded that we are not alone in this journey. God is the one who transforms the way we think. One of the ways that God does that is by asking the right questions, often tough questions, even questions we'd prefer to ignore. But they are critical questions. His questions are like windows to the mind. How are you thinking? <clears throat> Good morning. Hey, I know what you're probably thinking this morning. Why is this guy up here? Why not Michael? Why not Kevin? Why not anybody else? Well, hey, let me tell you, I, I'm thinking the exact same thing. But really, it's a joy to be here this morning. Uh, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Evan. I'm the middle school resident here at Newark, and I would love to get a chance to meet you if I haven't already. And if you haven't been here, we've been going through a series called Going Through the Motions, talking all about right thinking, having a correct way of thinking. And we've been looking at the questions that God asks us, questions like, um, what is your name? Where are you? And what is in your hand? And once again, God does not ask questions because he doesn't know the answer, but he asks questions to get us to think. And before we get to the question that we're going to talk about today, I want to play a game with you this morning. This game is called, What Do You Think? Okay, so it's real simple. There's going to be two prompts up on the board right here. And I want you to pick between each prompt and point to one side of the room, whichever you prefer. This is a game all about opinions. So right here, we've got summer and fall. So take a pick. Yeah, point. Everybody. Okay, all right. Hey, I'm with you, fall people. We're in the best season right now, right? Yeah. All right, let's get the next one. Peanut butter or jelly? Which one? I'm a peanut butter guy. Protein for the gym rats, you know. All right, next one. The beach or the mountains? Okay, you guys are getting the hang of it. This next one's really, really good. The double stack or the McDouble? Which one? Hey, I'm a McDouble person. That's my dinner probably three nights a week, okay? And then the last one, this is going to be a little divisive. Oh, oh. Hey, I'm, I'm not even going to give you my opinion on that one because it will affect the way some of you listen to me for the rest of my time. Hey, we've all got opinions, right? I mean, we've got opinions on everything, even pointless things like peanut butter or jelly. Uh, and we love to give our opinions. I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy who loves to give you my opinion even if you don't ask me. I will tell you whatever it is, and, I, and I'll give you my opinion. And we love to give our opinions, but here's the truth. Not many of our opinions matter. They don't matter very much. But there is one opinion that we're going to talk about today that matters so greatly, and that is your opinion on Jesus Christ. Today's question comes in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, we're starting in. It's on page 588 of the Green Bibles, if you want to turn there now. And it comes when Jesus asked his disciples two questions. Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? Let me tell you this morning, there will not be a greater question that you will answer in your life than who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that Jesus is? It will affect you in this life, and it will affect you for eternity. From these questions, we're going to see three true statements that Jesus wants to teach us today. And before we read, would you pray with me? Father, we love you. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come into your house and worship you, God, and, and learn about you and open your word. And God, I pray that whatever it is you want us to hear this morning about who you are, 
Lord, reveal it to us and let us change our lives to the better of it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Again, page 588 on the Green Bibles, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I love this passage here. And this is a passage that we read often and we, we point out often when we're reading the Bible. And it's one we know. And it's a great answer that Peter gives. He, he gives the perfect answer right here, but what I think is super important for us to, to look at this morning is the initial question he asked too. Who do they say I am? What Jesus is really asking here is what, is, what does the world say that I am? What does the world, what does culture say that I am? And listen, it's so important to know what you say about Jesus, but it's also important to know what the world says about Jesus. Because what the world says about Jesus shouldn't be anything close to your answer. And at first, when you read the responses, I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive, right? They put Jesus in this amazing category. They say, John the Baptist or Jeremiah or Elijah, they're putting Jesus in a category with all these Jewish heroes. And it's impressive, but it's still wrong. And this is the first, first true statement that we see this morning. The majority does not make it right. The majority doesn't make it right. In fact, most of the time, the majority means it's wrong. I mean, here's what the world, what the majority says about Jesus today. Hey, Jesus was a good man. You know, Jesus really lived a long time ago, and, and he was a good man. He had some good teachings. Love your neighbor. Turn the other cheek. Forgive others. These are good things, and, and he, he was a good man, a good prophet, a good philosopher, but that's it. He's not the Son of God. He's not Messiah. He didn't defeat sin. He, he, he's not the Savior. He's just a man. Listen, your answer to that question should be the exact opposite of what culture today says about that question. He is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He's the risen Savior. He defeated sin in the grave. That should be your answer. And God calls us, you know, he says, calls us set apart. He calls us to be different in the world, but not of the world. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We see this all over the Bible. That means we are supposed to be different than the majority. When Jesus asks this question, he's trying to get us to think and see, hey, am I thinking like the majority, or am I thinking what is true? Do I think and do I look more like the majority, or do I look more like Christ? in every area. That means how you live. That means what you do every day. That means how you spend your free time, how you talk, what you wear, how you raise a family. All these things should be different than the majority today. Because the majority today, culture today, has no shortage of things that contradict God's word. You know, things like authority. You know, there's no respect for authority anymore. How easy is it to find a video of somebody disrespecting a cop? 
or a student in a classroom talking back to a teacher, right? It's, it's so easy to find that. How about the fact that nothing is sacred anymore? Nothing has meaning. There's no meaning in going to church. There's no, nothing sacred about marriage, nothing sacred about sex. Nothing has meaning. Hey, the majority today says shame, judge, cancel others. It says follow your heart. It says live for yourself and build yourself up. And it says that Jesus Christ was just a man who lived 2,000 years ago. Our lives should look so much different than the majority because if your life looks the same as the majority, then your answer to who Jesus is will be the same also. I want everyone to say this with me. It's up on the screen behind me. I cannot follow culture and follow Christ. I cannot follow culture and follow Christ. Hey, listen, you can't do it. It is impossible. The, the two things don't go together. They, they contradict each other. You can't have both. I cannot follow culture and follow Christ. Ask yourself this question. Am I following culture or am I following Jesus Christ? And listen, it's something that we all struggle with. It, it's hard because culture has a way of pulling us in, making us think, hey, it's not that bad because everyone else is a part of it. And here's how you check yourself on it. You ask yourself these questions. What am I doing that's outside the norm? What am I doing that doesn't align with the current culture? What am I doing that culture would say is different or is weird? What is it? If you're not doing anything, then you're doing something wrong. If you're not doing anything different, then you're doing something wrong. And Jesus starts with this question to the crowds because he knows how much of a temptation it is for us to follow the crowds and he asked to get us to see, am I thinking like the majority, or am I thinking what is true? The majority doesn't make it right. It's our first true statement today. Michael's going to come tell you the other true, two true statements now. Hey, my dad and my mom live in Tennessee, some of you guys know this, and I told my dad that I was preaching this morning, and he texted me at first service right as Evan got started, and he said, you look different. You've lost weight, and you've got hair now. So dads always know how to encourage, don't they? Thank you, Evan. Hey, the majority doesn't make it right. Hey, before I show you the second and the third true statement, let me just reiterate something that Evan has already said, because I don't want you to miss this. There will not be another more important question that you will answer in your life than the question of Jesus to you asking, who do you say that I am? That question will have ramifications here, now, in our reality, and it will have ramifications in eternal realm to come. So I want us to pay close attention to what Peter is about to say. But before we do... Hey, get weird with me. Put your hand on somebody next to you. Pray this over them. Pray this over yourself. God, speak, and I will listen. Father God, we come to you acknowledging that you are God and that what you say about us and to us is the most important things that we hear. So, Father, teach us, show us from your word how to answer this question correctly. Who do you say that I am? God, would you do this through the power of Jesus and through the power of your word? And all of my friends said, 
Amen. Hey, here's truth statement number two. Here it is. He is the one. Or you might say it like this. He is the one. Look at the Bible says, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, and other people say one of the prophets. But he asked them, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, and you are the Son of the living God. Hey, your Bible, if you're reading from a different translation, it might say that Peter's response says that you are the Christ. So these two words, Christ and Messiah, they mean the same thing. They mean anointed one, chosen one. So what Peter is saying when he says that you are the Messiah isn't just two words, okay? You need to understand that the Messiah is the one that every single word is pointing to in the Old Testament. It's what all of the scriptures are hinging upon. And Peter is saying here in this moment, Jesus, I believe that you are the anointed one, the one we've been waiting on. Like, who, who have they been waiting on all these years? They've been waiting on the one that God came down to the garden and made a promise to Eve about and said, Eve, there is coming one from your line that will crush the head of the enemy. That's the Messiah. That's the Savior. He's remembering back to when Daniel wrote in Babylon, Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel writes an entire chapter about this coming king who will raise up a kingdom that will have no end, who will be king eternal. He's looking back to all the other leaders. We're talking about Abraham, Moses, Noah. He's looking back to all the anointed judges, prophets, priests, and kings, every single person that God has ever raised up and anointed was a foreshadowing of who this one would be. And now Peter here in this moment is identifying exactly who Jesus is. Notice what Peter doesn't say. Peter does not say, Lord, I think you are a anointed one, or I think you could be a savior. No, no, no. Peter says, you are the one. You are the Messiah. You are the savior. Jesus himself would confirm this later on in John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus would say this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Hey, listen, you need to know this. You need to hear this. Jesus is not a one. He's not a Messiah. He's not a Savior. He is the one, and you got to know that. Hey, let me tell you why this is so important in our culture today, okay? Everybody say this right after me. Say universalism. Big fat word, let me unpack to you what it means and let me unpack to you what it is doing in the lives of our students, in the lives of our college students, and in culture. Let me paint you a picture. Universalism basically says that all of life is like climbing a mountain, 
okay? And at the top of this mountain is eternity or it is heaven. That, that is the thought process behind universalism. And here's what universalism says, and here's what it's teaching your kids. Here's what it's teaching your college students. Here's what's being crammed down the throats of culture is universalism. And it says things like this. Listen, if we're going to climb this mountain called life, there are multiple ways to get to the top. Or it might say something like this. Hey, listen, everybody has their own truth, and as long as you'll stick to what your truth is, you'll make it to the top of the mountain. You'll reach eternity. You'll reach heaven. And some of you have heard people say stuff like this. They'll say, listen, that might be true for you, but it's just not true for it's not true for me. You might hear people say something like this. Listen, all religions are the same. They're all going in the same direction. Have you guys ever seen the bumper sticker before? It's called coexist, and the words coexist are all written out by different religious symbols. You ever seen that? That is universalism. That is saying that all of us are headed into the same direction. Hey, friend, let me tell you something. We're not all headed in the same direction. We're not all headed in the same direction. And let me just blow our minds with something. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is such thing as his truth. And that's it. And something can't be true for you that is not true for me. There is the truth and the way, and it's not my truth and my way. It's his truth and his way. Okay? Universalism is a lie. And you need to know this. What Peter says in this moment you are the one. And what Jesus would later confirm is accepting it, that Jesus is the one, the one that all of us have been waiting on. And let me tell you something about your life right now, friend. He is the one that you need right now. Right now. Hey, if I was to sit down with you one-on-one, right, like we go to Lassiter's, I get the pink drink. I had it yesterday. It's crazy good. Go get it. I don't care if it's pink. I don't care. It's awesome. But if I was to sit down with you and I was to say, hey, what is going on with you? Tell me about your life. Some of you would look at me, and in 100% honesty, you would say, Michael, I'm so tired. And you are tired. And you know what I would say? He's the one. Go to him. Michael, I am so empty, and Michael, I am so lonely. Hey, he is the one. Go to him. Michael, I am drowning right now in the weight of my secret sin. Hey, he's the one. Go to him. Michael, I need rescue. Michael, I have no peace. Michael, I need a new beginning. And I would say to all of that, he is the one. Hey, you might turn on the news. I don't watch the news, but you might turn on the news and you might say, our world is in absolute chaos and we need something and here's what we need and here's what we need. Hey, I'm telling you what we need. We need him. He is the one. He is the one that is coming again that is literally going to restore all things, to create all things new. And I don't care what your problem is. I don't care what name you put across it. Look at me and listen to me. He is the one. And you can find peace in him. And when Peter says this, you are the Messiah, and you are the son of the living God, something instantaneously is about to happen in Peter's life. This is going to be the turning point in Peter's life, and it's going to be the turning point in all of the Gospels. Let's read about what happens. 
This is Jesus' response to Peter, Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. This sets up our third truth statement. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the power of hell will not conquer it. Hey, here's the third truth statement that Jesus wants you and me to see today. It's this. When I know who he is, he will tell me who I am. When I know who he is, he will tell me who I am. Hey, isn't it interesting that Jesus is the one who asks the question, who do you say that I am? And upon giving the right answer, he then tells Peter exactly who he is. I think it's interesting. I think it points out to the fact that Jesus is really pointing to the fact that, listen, it's a big deal that we know who we are. Anybody in the room like to be validated? You like to pat on the backs? Boy, I do. I like them. I enjoy them. It tells me who I am. Hey, did a good job here. Hey, didn't do such a good job here. Hey, kudos. Way to go. You did it. All of us want to know who we are. All of us want validation, but I am completely convinced that all of us are looking in the wrong places for who we are. Hey, he's the one that tells the creation who they are. You are created in the image of God, which means that God knows better than anybody else who you are and who he has created you to be. And here he tells Peter, Peter, you're going to be the rock, and I'm going to build my church upon you. Hey, as your student pastor, I get to see this a lot. And let me, let me just be super transparent with you about one of the things that our students struggle with the most. And I would say this is not just true for our students. I would say it's true for most students everywhere. They don't know who they are. Because if they knew who they were, they wouldn't do what they do. And neither would you, right? They, they, they don't know who they are. And it is alarming to me because here's, here's how I see this play out. I will ask someone, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? And we've got, we've got some people, okay, and I'm just going to call you out. we got some people and their kids are like, I'm going to be a professional athlete. Okay, yeah, okay. Listen, I come put my arm around them. I say, listen, I've seen you play. I love you. You're not going to be a professional athlete. I love you. I know that you believe in you. I know. Do something else. Don't do that. You're going to be disappointed. You're not going to be a professional athlete, okay? I know that's every kid's dream. Man, go for it. If you make it, remember us here at New Work Fellowship, 5050 Canton Pike. We take cash, check, or credit card, okay? It's great. Hey, but their answers are, are different from what your answers were when people asked you what you wanted to be when you grow it up. Hey, I'm a part of a small group. It's awesome. It's a self-small group. We call ourselves the Selfies, 107, 108, 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And one of the questions that we asked was, hey, if you could be anything other than what you are now, what, what would you want to be? What kind of job and career would you want to have? Y'all want to know what mine was when I was a student? I had it planned out. I wanted to be, anybody know? A plumber. 
I wanted to be a plumber. Hey, listen, there was this guy that went to my church when I was growing up. Literally every other month, he had a brand new car, and the first thing that he does with his, all his new cars, still does, first thing he does, takes all the wheels and puts brand new wheels and rims on all of his cars, like every other month. It's, it, it's insane to me. But that was my thought process as a teenager. I mean, I had my slogan mapped out as a teenager. Do y'all want to know what it is? I'm knocking on the door. Hey, welcome to Sharon Septic. We're glad that you chose us. We're here to scoop it out so you don't have to. I was ready. I mean, I was ready. Hey, let me, let me, let me tell you this, okay? Let, let me tell you this. Listen to me. Here's what a lot of our students will say if you ask them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Other than professional, I think they, they will say something like this. I want to be an influencer. Everybody say Influencer. Let me tell you what an influencer is in case you uh, are not on social media. An influencer is somebody who gets paid to make two to three minute videos to rep a product and tell you what to do and tell you who to be. That, like that's who they want to be. And here, here's what's fascinating. Do you know why they want to be an influencer? They want to be an influencer because they like it when other people tell them who to be because they don't know who they are. Hey, I was thinking about this, right? Like, good thing, good thing that us rational adults know who we are. It's a good thing we're not looking for validation from other people and buying things and wearing stupid brands and making sure that our cars are... It's a good thing that we know who we are and that we don't have to be marketed to, right? Hey, it's a good thing that we are not having midlife crises buying stuff that we don't need to impress people that don't care about us. Hey, it's a good thing that like after, you know, we're graduated responsible adults, it's a good thing that we don't spend the rest of our lives thinking about, hey, how can I get this title? How can I get this accolade? How can I love who I am? Hey, let me tell you how to find out who you are. Find out who Jesus is. Answer the question, who do you say that I am? Because once you and I find out the reality of who Jesus is, he will tell us who we are. Hey, let me tell you something. It's awesome. It is the most freeing thing ever. Y'all know I'm weird, right? You know that. I am weird as weird gets. And let me tell you something. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. You know why? Because I know who I am. I know who I am because I know who he is. He asked Peter, Peter, you're now going to be the rock. I'm going to build my church upon you. And listen, the rock that Jesus would build his church on is the gospel. It is knowing who Jesus is. Sometimes we read the scriptures and we get a little confused like, you know, Peter's going to be at the gate saying, oh yeah, you get to come in, you get to come in, and Peter's just making all the decisions. No, no, no. What Jesus is saying is the rock here is the gospel. It's the knowledge of who he is. Yeah, he used Peter mightily to do it, but the power is not in Peter, friend. The power is in the gospel. Jesus is the one, and once you know who he is, he will tell us who we are. Hey, and there's multiple instances in scriptures where Jesus is telling us as people who we are. And I want to remind you a couple of them. And I want you to ask yourself the question, is this how I see myself? Like, do I know that he's talking about me? When he's talking about you and I becoming children of the Most High God. Do you know that he's talking about you, Christian? 
Hey, when he's talking about, when he says, my sheep hear my voice, do you understand that he's talking about you, that you're a part of his flock and he's the shepherd? Hey, when he's talking about us being his brothers and sisters, who are my brothers and sisters? Who is my family except for those who do the will of the Father? Do you know that he's talking about you? Hey, when he talks about us being adopted into the family of God, do you know that he's talking about you? See, a lot of us, you know what we're doing? We're spending the majority of our lives trying to prove who we are, and Jesus has already told you who you are. Who do you say that I am? Hey, can I just set you free? Can can I just tell you something that I want you to hold on to? The best thing that you can do for you, the best way to get the best version of you is not to lose all that weight. I need to, you need to, too. We know this, but that's not going to fill the void in your heart. Hey, the best version of you is not marrying that person. Students, there's probably going to be three more that you think you're going to marry. You're not. Trust the Lord, pray, ask Him to teach you something. That's not what's going to be the best version of you. It's not going to be getting that job. In fact, some of you, you're going to get that job and you're going to realize, I hate this job. I'm just being real with you. Hey, the best version of you ain't going to be buying that house because you're going to buy that house and you're going to figure out there was foundational problems. There was electrical problems. There was plumbing problems and sharing septic does not exist. Hey, the best version of you that you are going to encounter is the you that acknowledges and surrenders to who Jesus Christ really is. That is the best version of you. And and let me just say this, okay, because I know that there are people in the room right now and you are investigating Jesus. You are looking at him and you are looking at the church and you're trying to make a decision, is this Jesus thing really real? Is Christianity really real? And let me tell you what not to do. Do not look at Christians and hope that they're going to paint for you a representative picture of who the perfect Jesus Christ is. Don't do that. Hey, here's what I know about me and here's what I know about you. I ain't perfect. There ain't no way I can paint a picture with my life of who Jesus really is. There's just no way possible. So do not make a decision based on what you see in Christians. Make a decision based on what you see in the King. Let me tell you what to do. Read through the book of Mark. Pick a week and say, I'm going to read through the book of Mark. And as you do it, do this. Just pray this. Pray, God speak and I will listen. God give me an open mind. God give me an open eyes. And here's what you will find. You will see my king. You will hear my king. You will see what he does in the lives of people. And he will make himself known to you. We will never be a picture perfect of Jesus. But the word is going to rightly depict exactly who he is. So get in the word. Can I tell you a story? This story that we're talking about here today is, is when everything changes for Peter. The turning point for Peter is when Peter gets it right. Let me tell you the story of when I was saved and then when I surrendered. Because I think this is important. Okay, And here, here's what I'm telling you. Is I think that there's a ton of us here in the room today who are saved. But we are not surrendered. And there is a tremendous difference. I can remember the Sunday night that I got saved. Everybody say Sunday night. Hey, I grew up in that era where we went to church on Sunday night, right? Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday, Sunday morning. We go into all of them or you're getting a beating. You know what I'm saying? It's the way it was. 
Hey, Sunday nights, I'm sitting there, I'm seven years old, and I'll never forget this. I remember sitting there, I'm in the back left of the pew, and the preacher was a screaming preacher. Anybody grow up with a screaming preacher? I'm loud, but I'm not a screamer, okay? Don't get me screaming. But this, this preacher, man, he is screaming his head off, and the entire sermon is about hell, okay? And here's what I knew walking out of church that night. I knew he talking about me, that's me, I am a sinner in need of saving, and if I died right now, I'm going there. That is what I knew. And it left me distraught Sunday night after church. I remember this distinctly. I get home Sunday night after church. It's time for bed. I'm putting on my pajamas. I'm putting on my purple Power Ranger onesie pajamas, zipping them up, and I am bawling my eyes out. My mom is like, what is wrong with you? I said, Mom, I know that's me. I know that I'm a sinner in need of saving. I know that's me. My mama picks me up on the kitchen countertop, sits me down, and leads me to the Lord. Okay, that happens when I was seven. Gave my life. I know I was saved then. But something else happened to me at 17. I'm 17 years old. It's the last night of church camp, and we're there. It's emotional, you know, at the bonfire singing. Everybody leaves the bonfire, and, I, and I'm just sitting there. And I got down on my hands and knees because I felt the Lord calling me. And I said, Lord, I, I don't know who you want me to be, but I'll be whoever you want me to be. Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but I will commit right here, right now. I will do whatever you want me to do. Lord, I don't know where you want me to go, but I will go wherever you tell me to do. Lord, I'm all in. I surrender, Lord. And let me tell you something. Aside from being saved, that is the most important moment in my life that has ever happened. Ever happened. Because in that moment, he began to reveal and show me who I am. And you will never know peace unless you know who you are, who the creator has created you to be. And here's what I know. This, in the moment of Peter's life, was a turning point in Peter's life where he got it, he understood it. And I just want to ask you today, do you get it? Like, like do you understand it? Do you understand that he, he really is the one? Hey, here's how you know when you get it, if you really understand that he's the one. If your answer is anything other than Jesus is my only hope, you don't have hope. You don't get it, okay? We got to come to the point where we understand that he is it. He's the only way I'm making it off this planet to a better place. He's the one. Hey, here's what I know. Man, I'm so glad for the majority of you that are saved. And I so hurt for those of you who have never surrendered. Because you have no idea what you're missing out on. Hey, here's what Jesus said. I have come so that they might have life and that they might have life abundantly. And it feels good to live the abundant life. It feels awesome to know who I am. Do you know who you are? You'll never know who you are if you can't answer the question, who do you say that I am? Here's what I want us to do. We're about to get real weird. The musicians are going to come, and they're going to play. And as they play, I, I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to do something that maybe you have never done before. And here's what I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet that the same thing that happened in Peter's life that was a turning point in his life could happen to you right here in this room today. So here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to pretend that Jesus is face to face, eyeball to eyeball with you, and he's asking you the question, who do you say that I am? Here's what I want you to do in this moment. We're going to have a moment of silence, and all I want you to do in your own words is answer the question. That's, that's all I want you to do. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, and I want you to answer the question, Jesus, this is who you are. And I want you to tell him. And then I want you to ask him to speak to you. I want to ask you to ask him, God, tell me who I am. Tell me who you've created me to be. So right now, all across the room, every head bowed, every eye closed, you tell him who he is. come to you in this moment and we want to declare publicly who you are. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. You are the prince of peace. You're the one who reigns over a kingdom that will have no end. God, you are the suffering servant that saw fit to crawl on a cross on my behalf. God, we admit who you are. We say publicly today, we have no hope without you. God, I pray today as my friends admit who you are, that you might show them who you've created them to be, that you might give them the gift of life and life abundantly that is only found in you. God, call people to yourself today. Call people to your purposes. And let us be willing to fully surrender to the lordship of your son, Jesus Christ. To fully come in and say, I'm all in. God, we pray that you might do this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.